Welcome to She's Great, a podcast where we tell each other about great women who have done great things. I'm Meredith Kaufman. And I'm Natalie Moore. Thanks for joining us. It's going to be great. Let's talk about this incredibly exciting and hopeful uh, experience we just had for the last week. Yep, last Tuesday. That for the first time in history, 100 women were elected into the Congress, which has never happened before. And it's very there's a lot of new progressives i mean there's a lot there the women is very exciting and there's a lot of progressive women yeah which gives me hope yeah i mean i think it's just sort of starting you know i think the way out of this we don't know the way people are keep saying like who are we going to run in 2020 and it's like i don't think we know i don't think we're supposed yeah. to know yet i think we have to yes. sort of sort of follow the what's happening and believe in yeah. what's happening Um, But what made me excited about us having this episode today was I heard um, Johanna Haynes, who won in in Connecticut, Mm -hmm. um, her acceptance speech, she acknowledged that it was the 50th anniversary of Shirley Chisholm getting elected um, to Congress uh, as the first African-American woman to be elected to Congress. It was the 50th anniversary in 1968, the same night. Marked 50 years since Shirley Chisholm was elected as the first African-American woman to go to Congress. Today, 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 amazing and it just felt like a full circle moment and um, yeah and it just seems so obvious that like Shirley Chisholm should be the woman that we talk about on our second episode here of she's great absolutely Um, because she's so great yeah and you know it's really great we just found out that Amazon Studios has acquired the rights to the fighting Shirley Chisholm it's a biopic and Viola Davis is going to star in the title role and help produce it. I can't wait. Uh, we also found out that in 2020, New York City is going to put a statue of Shirley Chisholm in Prospect Park near the Parkside entrance. About time. So let's listen to a clip of Shirley Chisholm speaking in Greenfield, Massachusetts in 1983. You must remember that when the Constitution was written, that women were regarded as property and that blacks were only regarded as three-fifths of a person. So one could understand how it is that blacks and women are still struggling to gain equitability of opportunity across the board in jobs, in education, and in training. And our country needs the collective talents of the genus Homo sapiens who have talent, of whom some are men and some are women, in order to be able to better the conditions for all of us. She's really inspiring. And you suggested that we watch the documentary about her unbought and unbossed. Which was which also was, her campaign slogan. Yes, yes. <laughs> and her autobiography title. Um, and you can see why. I mean, if I could just even have her 
posture. And she never wavers for a moment. And we the the document the subject of the documentary is her presidential campaign. Right. So it it picks up from um 1972 when she mm -hmm. was trying to get the Democratic nomination and it was McGovern and Humphrey. It was very contentious yeah. because, uh, of course, they're trying to get Nixon out. Um, so it actually had a lot of parallels, I think, to the time we're living in right now. You know, mm -hmm. a Democratic Party that's divided. Um, there's a lot mm -hmm. at stake. And I think her candidacy, which really was just people didn't take it seriously. They really yeah. she was like a joke. And yeah. I mean, not to everyone, clearly not to everyone, but I think as like sort of the establishment, as they say, uh, mm -hmm. did not take her seriously. And I feel like maybe that's why I, me growing up in Minnesota in history, you know, I don't remember learning about her in in American history. Yeah. I mean, she has a forever stamp and not much more. I mean, I was really surprised to find out that the only adult biography about her was not written until 2014. Oh my just God. four years ago. And what really blew me away in the documentary was um, that sh um, she could not get the support of the, um, the the Congressional Black Caucus. Right. The, the men. And that's one of her um, most quoted um, thoughts was that between being black and being a woman, the biggest problem was being a woman. <laughs> Sexism is... Um, uh, colorblind. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I do think there was that contention, too. Like, you know, when people are just starting to get a foothold in, right, to mm -hmm. the society, you know, it was like the mm -hmm. first time I think there'd been a black political convention. And it clearly was, you know, run by all these black male politicians. Mm -hmm. I, I imagine they saw her as like, you know, somebody who was going to ruin what they had just struggled so hard to get in not seeing her as really the warrior Exactly. That she was. I mean, I kept having this image of like somebody at, a, at the first battle of the Revolutionary War or some yeah. great war, like the first person who steps out onto the field willing to take every bullet. The courage mm. that she had, mm. you know, and to have nobody really behind her. Yeah. You know, she Except finally for the got, women who worked she, for her. She did they get were the, awesome. Yeah, yeah, the women who supported her, and there were black women who supported her. And then like, Gloria Steinem Gloria and some Steinem. of the um, know, now, they, they did get behind her. And eventually the black Panthers got behind her, which I thought was yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just the, the power that she had and to, to be okay, just to keep moving forward with the whole culture kind of just writing her off and even so much so that we didn't learn about her in our history classes and we should have. I know. I, I, it really is incredible. I mean, she, she meant, or uh, I, I learned about how she was, you know, she was born in Brooklyn, um, but uh, her mother was from Barbados. Her father was from Guyana, um, you know, skilled laborers. And she was sent to, back to Barbados for elementary school. Yeah, which and she has was a very, in that one-room schoolhouse, right, where yeah, she was educated. super strict. Um, and, uh, and she lived with her grandmother, who she credits for her character of just um, extreme confidence. Yeah. Um, yeah. I read a quote where she said, I didn't need the black revolution to make me believe in myself. I got that from my grandmother. Yes. Yeah. Or something yes. to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. I yes. Mean, it's clear too. like when you say her posture, when you see her walk, mm -hmm. she is like upright, like yes. 
and maybe that's where the sort of soldier mentality. She seems like mm. a general or something. Yeah. Like, right. But she has this sort of like she had an accent, and um, mm-hmm. I, I, she she was so herself. She mm-hmm. she wasn't trying to. I guess that's where she got you know her slogan because she mm-hmm. she wasn't trying to. There were no focus groups for Shirley Chisholm, you know, to figure out how yeah. best to you know present yeah. herself. She was herself. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and and you know you think about like going back to um, the the state of the the you know there was no black vote at that time. Martin Luther King had been assassinated four years prior, and so there was this vacuum of um, leadership, mm-hmm. and so nobody was really sure what to do and how to move forward. And there was no obvious choice of a candidate, a black candidate, who seemed to have a real chance of winning. And that was something that I, you know, I've just been reading about and and that reminds me also of today um, because, um, you know, people are just sort of like men are just sort of standing around peeing on their shoes trying to figure out who's going to win so that they can support that person. Right. As opposed to people who just step forward and say, I think we should abolish ICE. I think we need to expand um, Medicare and Medicaid. I think we should, you know, ideological values and, and staying speaking true to, the to those. issues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And letting that leadership it come out of it. Like the leader mm-hmm. will evolve out of yes. that instead of having, you know, the PowerPoint room and the focus group, which is what we've how we've been running it. And it isn't working. Yeah. And I, and I definitely felt that there was a connection to now, too, that, you know, I sometimes am like, well, we, we can't have Donald Trump again. We can't have a far right Supreme Court. We have to go with who's going to win. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes when I do hear the progressive argument, it's hard for me um, to always believe that it's going to work. It feels like, oh, but that's going to drag us mm-hmm. back. And mm-hmm. and this is a larger, you know, it's, I think, seeing things a little further in the horizon mm-hmm. that, you know, yeah. you have to fight for the, the long fight, the long game. Yeah. And Shirley Chisholm was definitely about that. I don't think she ever believed she would get the nomination. She certainly didn't believe she would be president of the United States. But she wanted to make her platform known that, that it has begun, that we have arrived, we are here, we have mm-hmm. our voice, and we're going mm-hmm. to make it heard. And and so many people were afraid of that. Women were afraid of that. Black men were afraid of that. Um, mm-hmm. And yet she set the standard that I feel like last Tuesday um, – you know, the reason why that door was kicked in is because she she made it so, you know, it's because yes. of and she deserves this credit and acknowledgement. Yes. Yes. There's a quote that she says um, that the reason she ran for office in spite of hopeless odds is to demonstrate the sheer will and refusal to accept the status quo. Mm-hmm. Which is what what people are doing now. And I think what what more people are ask um you know considering personally that's why so many new people have stepped forward to run or right. or just to engage you know to participate um because it does seem like our culture is having sort of a well it is it's having a moral crisis like if our mm. leadership right now is going to just be so corrupt and mm-hmm. so without any moral courage or center, mm-hmm. you know, I think there are a lot of just average ordinary people being like, if, you know, a reality TV show host <laughs> can be the president of the United States, why can't I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I used to think I didn't have the credentials. I used to think I didn't have the pedigree. And now, 
which is, you know, maybe one of the maybe a positive that's coming out of all of this negative is mm. that it's it's opening eyes and hearts to the possibility mm. of leadership. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And I mean, you know, in her early background was in early education. You know, mm-hmm. she has a master's from Columbia in early education, and she ran nursery schools in Brooklyn. And I mean, anyone who can run a room full of small children has can run my the respect. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but just a, a deeply rooted understanding of um, human life. Yeah, and, and empathy. How, and, and what it needs. And it's pretty basic. It's pretty easy, I, I can imagine, to um, set up systems where if somebody um, has a rough time, there's plenty of money. We can just, you know, support them until they reroute, until they get a job, until they overcome their addiction. Um you know, there's there's plenty of money if it's not being siloed towards people who just want as much as they can get. Right. The greed. And right. she was she was so clear, you know, in the documentary about, you know, this isn't a democracy. Even back, you know, in 72, she's mm-hmm. like all the backroom deals at the Democratic mm-hmm. Convention, mm-hmm. you know, that they're 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 bartering your vote. They're delegates. To get, Who's got the yeah, delegates? Yeah. yeah. And that yeah. she said it's representation we get to speak but it's not r- true democracy and that's a struggle we're still in and you know maybe our car- culture always will be but um it right. definitely feels like right now we're in a mode where some real change could take place and i think it's the kind of change that you know in 1972 people that was beyond most people's imagination, except for Shirley Chisholm. Like she, mm-hmm. she could imagine it, and I, I think it's just sort of sad to think she didn't get to live to see that happen. Uh, yeah, on the sixth, and she didn't. You know, she died in two thousand five. She never got to see Obama get elected. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she did a lot of great things in the interim, even after her failed presidential uh, campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in Congress. Uh, until 1982. <laughs> yeah. It's a long time. She's there for yeah. 14 years. And she got a lot of, you know, important work done. She improved the lives of inner city residents on her terms. And she worked to improve health care and social services and education. Yeah. She got, um, uh, what was it? She got uh, WIC um, expanded so that women and infants and children could um, eat. <laughs> Yeah, amazing. And you wish that politicians would care more about things like that, you know. It's I know. Well, that's like what I was saying before. I mean, it's just it's it's very simple like what we as a as a creature require in order to survive and be happy. Um it's food and shelter and infrastructure. Um and that's what she was all about. Yeah, making lives better, making people's lives better. And that's mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after Congress, so she retired in, in 1982, she returned to education and taught sociology and politics at Mount Holyoke from 83 to 87. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she gave a lot of speeches around the country, too. So, you know, she got... Mm-hmm. 
her voice out there. And um, in 1993, uh, President Clinton nominated Shirley Chisholm to be the U.S. ambassador to Jamaica. But uh, unfortunately, her health prevented her from accepting the position. She received many honors, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2015, which was uh, an honorary doctorate in law at several universities and a stamp in the, oh, you said this, the forever stamp. Mm -hmm. uh, and she died on January 1st, 2005 at the age of 80. Time has come in America. And all of us can no longer be the passive, complacent, armchair recipients of whatever the morals or the politics of our nation may decree for us. But that if we have the courage of our convictions, we will stand up and be counted. Nobody talks about you if you're not doing anything, so don't worry about it if they're talking about you. <laughs> Which one? It, it's the it's like a drawing. It's like these outlines of like all these men in Congress. It's just outlines of like old white men in suits and the mm -hmm. doors opening and the and there's all these cartoons of all a lot of the women who were elected mm -hmm. uh, opening the door to come in and they're all in full color. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about them. I'm so yes. excited. Yeah. Yes. So who so who did you want to share with me today? Who did okay. you want to talk to me? Well, I one of the things that I found um, most hopeful, one of the events that that just happened on Tuesday morning was people, uh, young people who are part of the Sunrise Movement, they stormed Nancy Pelosi's office. Yes, I saw um, this. To demand the new Green Deal. Um, you know, uh, legislation about climate change. And um, uh, one of the women that I want to talk about was, um, you know, showed up there to speak to them. She did not get arrested. <laughs> she had other <laughs> meetings to go to because it's her first week in Congress. And that is Rashida Tlaib. And she is um, representing an area of Detroit. Um, uh. She's from Dearborn, Michigan. She's Palestinian-American. Um, and she's the um, she belongs to the Democratic Socialist Party, um, and she is uh, truly progressive. Um, and I'm very excited about her and that she would just jump right in um, to pressing climate change forward. You know, we all need a place to live on this planet. Yeah, and, the planet um, is, yeah, important. Climate should change. Not, should be nonpartisan, really. Should, <laughs> yeah, right. Earth, earthlings. And wasn't uh, Ocasio-Cortez there as well? I think yes, I saw her there There's a fantastic well. picture of her standing on a table talking to everybody. <laughs> yeah, and those two, both of them are part of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which now has 90 members. Um, and when she was in the Michigan legislature, um, she was so she, her, the, her district is um, very challenged and one out of five children has asthma. And um, there was this billionaire um, who owns a trucking company who was determined to send trucks through her neighborhood. And um, so she's obviously very concerned about that. And she said she proposed about 30 bills um, on the floor to um, reroute it, out, uh, you know, around a residential, her residential neighborhood. And they kept failing because this billionaire supports so many um, of those politicians. Uh. Um, you know, the receiving campaign donations. And um, so she organized a, uh, or she and a group of people uh, walked out onto that highway and they blocked truck traffic for 45 minutes. 
right. Yeah. I mean, she yeah. just stood out there and said, nope, you shall not pass. <laughs> um, and uh, and, and uh, that act helped to um, reroute the trucks. It so actually, it did, she was able to it actually did work. Yeah, the, the, that billionaire had to go to jail for a day um, because really? he... Oh, he wasn't supposed to be doing it. He wasn't supposed to be doing it. He was supposed to be... Yeah, right, exactly. He wasn't supposed but to be doing it. But they were just sort of letting him by because he was big billionaire guy who writes us our He was enabling their yes. political existence. Hmm. Yeah. Well, sounds like a familiar story. So I'm glad she's there. I know. That's who we and there's need. one more just amazing story that she told these these people before. It was like raining in D.C. and they're just about to basically go get arrested. Um, and this other story <laughs> she told was she um, so on the de- the banks of the Detroit River, the Koch brothers were dumping um, tons of petroleum coke, which is the waste left over from the the tar sands that had mm. been trucked in from Canada. And not just Canada, mm-hmm. like the Canada that's across the river from Detroit. We're talking about Alberta, you know, 2,000 miles away, yeah. brought to Detroit River and dumped. And oh, my God. Yeah, like a mountain of it on the banks of the river for, a, a, boy, I don't know how long, but a, a long, a significant amount of time. Um, and the state said that it was not toxic. And she said that can't be possible. And so she said she wrapped herself in a in a scarf and jumped the fence and collected her own samples and sent them out to be tested independently. And, you know, guess what? They're toxic. And they also she didn't even stop there. She went into the neighboring homes inside and made and tested it. And she found it on things like kitchen sponges. Oh, my God. It's horrible. And now those piles are gone. Wow. Yeah. Oh, this is so great. She's good. She's a good one. I'm very excited about her. And I want to play just a little clip of her speaking to that group uh, before they stormed Nancy's office. Um, She's already very emotional because she just shared that she lost her father to two different kinds of cancer, and she's convinced it's because of the pollution that they lived in in her um, neighborhood in Detroit. So um, here she is. Marathon oil refinery blocks away from where I'm raising my two boys. I'm so tired of them getting tax breaks. And then everybody say, well, it's jobs. Well, I say, jobs can't fix cancer. They can't get our air back. They can't get our water back. They can't do shit. They need to stop lying to us by telling us that it does. Stop gaslighting us. We know what pollution and toxic looks like. And I'm tired of it. Wow, she's so inspiring. <laughs> she really is exciting. <laughs> I know. She's great. And she's she's great, yeah. It's interesting. I wanted to talk today, too, about the two, um, the first two Native American women to yes. be elected. Um, Deborah Holland mm-hmm. and Sharice Davids. Um, yes. Deb Holland is out of New Mexico. Uh-huh. And um, I, I thought it was interesting because you were talking, uh, you know, about the, the, the young people protesting to get mm-hmm. this sort of Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that comes out of this idea that started at Standing Rock. I know uh, Ocasio-Cortez oh. was there and Deb Holland was there um, oh. as well. And... Um, she actually led the divestment of the Democratic Party of New Mexico from Wells Fargo due Amazing. to their investments in the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, so she's wow. sort of been on the front line of that. Um, she, her, both of her parents uh, were veterans. Mm-hmm. Her dad was in the Marines and her mom was in the Navy. Um, mm. She's a single mom. 
And uh, she just has a long history of service to Democratic candidates and progressive uh, causes. She ran uh-huh. for the lieutenant governor of New Mexico in 2014. She lost. Um, she was really involved with Obama in 2012. And there, uh, she was the uh, Native American vote director for Organizing for America in 2012. She was a full-time volunteer for Obama in, in 08, which I just think is exciting mm. because I feel like my own political activism and passion, uh, that really was elevated because of Obama and his yeah. and his win in 08 and all that we did, our bake sales and our <laughs> marches. And yeah. I mean, I, I just, I, it's exciting to know that even though it feels like they're stripping away so many of the gains we made when he was president, that that we're going to keep moving forward and that it's there's seeds planted and that yes. we're going to find ways that he has empowered our society with or without the changes that are happening mm. in the immediate um uh, and then mm-hmm. Sharice Davids, yeah. <laughs> she's also a Native American, part of the Ho-Chunk uh, tribe out of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. but she represents Kansas. And she's also the second ever open lesbian candidate to ever be elected to Congress. Yeah. She's also an ex-MMA fighter. Like, this woman's, yeah. like, so badass. <laughs> and she beat a four-time Republican uh, incumbent. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also ha- has um, parents... Uh, who were veterans, mm-hmm. and I think maybe it was just her. Her oh no, yeah, it was her. She was raised by a single mom, mm-hmm. and her mom was in the army. Um, yeah. Which that was another part of of the election. Like, there's so many people connected to uh, civil service in the military that are stepping up, and I just think that's so important. If if people are willing to give mm-hmm. their lives for this country, like they need to have their voices heard, and and I think those are the kind of leaders that we need people that really, truly would die for our country, you know, mm-hmm. and not sell it out. <laughs> yeah. Like some people right. whose names I won't mention. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she, um, let's see, so she graduated from the University of Kansas, and she earned a law degree from Cornell. Um, she calls herself a former first-generation college student since her mom earned a degree in history. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> she was a fellow for Obama. Uh, in the in twenty mm. yeah she was part of the White House Fellowship Program from twenty sixteen to twenty seventeen, and um, she's lived and worked on Native American reservations. I believe she worked in Pine Ridge in South Dakota um, for several years to create economic development opportunities, programs, and initiatives. Um, so I just feel like these two women coming at this time is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I was very excited to hear about that. I mean, more LGBTQ representatives, please. And the first time Native women have ever been elected in our country's history in 2018? That's shameful, but That's so shocking. happy they're here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy they're here. Yeah, yeah, more of them. Um, okay, I have one more person. Okay, um, cool. I wanted to talk about Ayana Presley. Okay. who um, is representing Massachusetts 7th District from Boston. She was on the Boston City Council. Cool. Um, and she is from Chicago, um, raised by a single mother. There's a common theme here. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like we should have a whole episode about the mothers of, the single mothers of these 
amazing right? women. Oh, that yeah. would be, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, her mother was, uh, you know, she worked multiple jobs, but she was also a community organizer. So she was always engaged. And her father struggled with addiction and was incarcerated, but eventually became a professor. Wow. So good on him. Um, apparently her mom shows up to some of her speeches wearing a hat that says Mama Presley. <laughs> <laughs> But here's the here's what I wanted to tell you in particular. She went to BU and was hey. there when we were there. When we were there. I like that you're picking like sort of these hometown, you know, Michigan, <laughs> yeah. Boston, because Meredith and I both went to Boston University together. Yeah. That's, <laughs> she that's, was there. She went to CGS. See, but um, we only knew the people in the theater department because we know, were lame. I know. We might as well not have even been in Boston. <laughs> However, That's so cool. She was at CGS. She, she went to CGS, but she had to. She left. She had. To, she went to go work at the Marriott to support her mom, who lost her job, and she yeah. actually never finished her degree. But she went on to work for Kennedy's and then to um, John Kerry. And when she was working for Kerry, she's recruited to run for Boston City Council. And after it said, after some thinking, Presley resigned from her position, cashed out her four hundred one k, and jumped into the race. Wow bold right she so just she brave. said she believed that there was a perspective that was lacking and um that she needed to represent that perspective despite the fact that her mother was dying of leukemia oh my god and she was taking care of her at the time so i, I always like to mention like what's going on personally in these people's lives because yeah because you don't know and then when lot. you find that out it makes their achievements even greater you know that they were over to overcome these things mm-hmm yeah she um and she was the first woman of color to serve on the boston city council ever Okay. Um, and Boston, but way to go, a, Ayana. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, there was a couple, oh, there was one speech. During her victory speech, when she was elected, um, she said, Donald Trump is a racist, misogynistic, truly empathy bankrupt man. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, she just uh, says it all. She also yeah. is very outspoken about um, sexual assault. She was, um, she's very outspoken about have, being a, a child survivor of sexual abuse, and she was also assaulted while at BU. Oh. Um, so she um, would like to make ending sexual violence a, a priority of her work. Um, That's as, what's so interesting, mm -hmm. too. I mean, this is sort of, I guess, sort of the Me Too effect yep. in a way that, mm -hmm. that we're changing. Um, that sharing things so personal is now a benefit. Before, that would have been something you would have had to hide or not let people mm -hmm. know. What will people think? This might make me seem weak. Or And now yep. it's a strength, which yep. that's Get definitely shifting the paradigm. Because, I know. And, and I think will help and empower women um, moving forward mm -hmm. in leadership uh, mm -hmm. to be able to speak our truth and not be ashamed or yes. to hide from it. Right. It's right. going to really, I mean... It just seems like the right way forward, and mm -hmm. I'm so glad that that's happening. Yes, and it will help empower other women to perhaps get out of those situations if that's possible. Yeah, like shining a light that you're not alone and that women who do, are doing great things have also come from these hard, traumatic experiences. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Which brings me back to Shirley Chisholm, because I feel mm. like that's what she was doing all the way back then, was just bringing her authentic self 
mm-hmm. to the table, even though she was uninvited. You know, what if she was the mm-hmm. one who said, you know, if they, if they don't give you a chair, bring, bring your own chair. You know, like yes. if they don't let you sit at the table, bring your own chair, bring mm-hmm. a folding chair. Right. And right. that's and that act has it took a long time, you know, but mm-hmm. it's creating this ripple. It's creating these waves. And mm-hmm. yeah, what, what will come of this in the next, you know, 40 years, uh, 50 years uh, of these women? What are they going to create going forward? Mm. I look forward to that. Yeah. One of the um, quotes from Ayanna Presley, which uh, I also felt came back to Shirley Chisholm, was that we should stop thinking of local government as the bottom rung of power. It's the mm. form of government closest to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where the real change starts to happen. It's not as sexy. Yeah. It doesn't sell a soundbite on you know the 24-hour news mm-hmm. cycle, but it's mm-hmm. actually what affects the people that you know and care about. And mm-hmm. from there, you can, yeah. I mean, I feel like healthcare, so many of the big, big issues we try to tackle, if we could find solutions on the local level and mm-hmm. elevate them, that's how the real change will happen. That's our show for today. Please join us next time to learn more about great women.